are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. Plus their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows so that as the little ones outgrow their bow, they can trade them in and use that towards the purchase of a bow that better fits their growing needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy are going to include a St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchased. Just mention that you heard about them while listening to this podcast. So when you're ready for a new bow, be sure to check out their website at stjoeriverbows.com or give Tracy a call at 517-617-3658 and be sure to tell them Traditional Outdoors sent you. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel, and today we uh, I'm sitting down face-to-face with a, a former guest and friend of the show. Uh, i got Jerry Russell here, and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, animal recovery. We've got, uh, we've got our, our deer season just right around the corner here in Georgia. It starts next Saturday, uh, and across the nation, deer seasons are, are opening up. In some places, they've already opened. I know South Carolina has a uh, early start to their deer season. So uh, I thought we had a, a really good topic to cover today. Jerry and I talked about this um, a couple months back when we had him on the show uh, about animal recovery, and we'll get into a little bit about tracking dogs. But before we do that, Jerry, how's it going, buddy? Oh, it's doing doing great. Um, been shooting a lot of summertime hogs. Our season opens in just uh, three or four days, and looking forward to that chasing those mountain bears in georgia uh along with deer and hogs and everything else that we do and i've been following the 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 hog hunting looks like you and uh our mutual friend al chapman's been having just a blast doing the hogs uh i i know we've had we've had hotter summers but uh has the has the heat affected you much as far as the hogs or just about killed us um (laughs) we have hunted a couple of days where the temps were uh 100 degrees and it doesn't matter how slowly you go in, just sitting in that kind of heat, and the Georgia humidity is just overwhelming. But we've still been very successful. Hunting at night is is a, that's how we get around that to some degree. But even at night, it's you know it's eighty five degrees with high humidity, so it's pretty tough. Um, it makes having a dog uh, doubly essential um, because there's just you don't have the option in Georgia when it's ninety degrees of leaving an animal overnight. As the the mosquitoes hadn't bothered you, though, have they? No, we're in a, a lucky spot. Everybody thinks of Georgia being infested with with snakes and bugs, but uh, a lot of the hog properties I hunt in North Georgia and even in my Central Georgia track, we're above the fall line, so we don't have the the, the no-seams, chiggers, and all that. We're, we're blessed to really have very few mosquitoes even and, and very, very few poisonous snakes. So let's... Um I guess let's dive into our, our main topic of discussion here, Jerry. Um, and before we get into, I know I know you're a big proponent of, of tracking dogs, and I do want us to spend a good amount of time talking about that. But before we before we go down that path, let's let's talk a little bit about just general um, 
animal recovery, what to do after the shot kind of thing. And I know, um, especially here in Georgia, and I know we have a lot of Georgia listeners, um, our, our deer season and our bear season coincide. So, you know, if you, if you want to plug anything in there as far as, you know, what may be different between those two species and definitely hogs, which we've talked about, and that's a, that's an animal into itself because of some of the things that can go on internally on a hog, you know, when you make the, when you make the shot. But, uh, let's just start from the perspective of, you know, we're out there, we're out there bow hunting. We, we take a shot on an animal from the tree stand. Everything looked, looked like a good shot. Um, you know, what do you do and what do you recommend um, as soon as you set foot out of it? Well, let's just, let's go back to the, the time of this shot. What do you do after you release that arrow and um, see the arrow impact the animal? I'm uh, blessed with having the ability to, to, to track a lot of animals. Uh, my experience, just to preface this whole conversation, is I've been running uh, tracking dogs for finding wounded deer for over 35 years. Um, I would, I would hate to even venture a guess at the hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of animals that I've had the joy of tracking both with and without a dog. Um, so I, I get to see a lot of things that maybe the average hunter doesn't see in the course of, of a, a, a tracking lifetime. Um, but I would say the number one thing I would tell an inexperienced or even experienced hunter to do is to, at, at the moment of the shot, to be as quiet as possible. Um, this is particularly inter- uh, uh, important when you're tracking an animal that's not particularly afraid of you, like a, a bear. What I mean is they're, they're an apex predator, so they're, they're frightened for a microsecond. They're going to only run a few feet, um, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards, and they're going to stop to see what, what boot them. At that point, the longer they stand in that position, the better for you. Um, you know, a whitetail, when he gets shot, he, he runs like a scared rabbit, and he can cover – 100 to 200 yards in five to 10 seconds. A bear generally won't do that. Um, a hog, off, a big hog will do the same thing. They'll run just a few yards and stop. So you really, really want to let that animal sit as quietly as possible. If he doesn't hear anything, they'll often walk off versus running off. That can happen with a deer as well, too. But, um, it, you know, obviously when you make the shot, see exactly where that animal was standing and then try your best to find out or to locate the last spot that you saw it before it disappeared from your view. That's going to be important for you as a sight tracker and also for uh, getting the dog started in the right direction. Now, I want to interrupt you right there for just a minute because there's some things that, that I've done over in the, in the past um, and definitely some things that I've noticed and I know a lot of people have noticed. Uh, so you're, you're, you're up in a tree. Let's say you're you know, 15, 16 foot, or in some cases higher in a tree. Um, you, you make that shot, you see where the animal is standing, you watch the animal run off, you follow it as long as you can. That's, that's the, that's the rule. And that's what everybody tries to do. But then when you climb down that tree and your foot hits the ground, everything looks different. Um, so any thoughts on how you pick, um, landmarks or, 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 points of reference while you're in the tree that are going to be um, more recognizable when you hit the ground? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you can. Um, oftentimes guys will carry a junk arrow or a squirrel arrow, whatever you want to call it, a field point. You can always, if, if, if you, you know, if you in really heavy cover, for instance, say in a clear cut, you can always shoot an arrow with, with that bright fletch into the ground where you thought the animal was standing last. 
Um, cause it does change perspective when you get on the ground. Um, and then try to mark something that's unique. Um, um, there's, if you don't carry a compass, you know, your phones now can have a compass app app. So that's another good thing to do is just to mark the exact number on your compass dial. That's 274 degrees that you last saw that deer. And then when you get to that spot, you can just basically turn around and point back at the stand. Um, you, oftentimes, and it happens more than you could possibly imagine, I'll have a hunter say the deer was last here and he ran that direction. Um, this happened on a really big double drop tine velvet buck last year where the hunter said, this is where my, my deer ran. He was absolutely positive that the deer ran one direction. We got there, the dog went almost the polar opposite direction and the, the guy instantly lost faith in the dog and said, well, your dog's going the wrong way. And my number one thing I say to the hunters to try to be as gentle as possible is, well, let's just humor the dog for a minute. And of course, 50 yards down the line, we, uh, we found the first drop of blood and the hunter was just amazed that he could be that far off. And it's easy to do. Um, I've done this myself, even on occasions I shot a hog a couple of days ago in the dark. Um, I was sure I could see that pig run for about 50 yards. I knew exactly where it ran, but in the confusion of hogs running everywhere i was probably off by 30 yards i knew that because even though we didn't have any blood the, i had a string tracker on it and then i said well i, I really didn't think it ran this way but <laughs> the string tracker told me i was a little bit wrong and that's easy to do and it's also easy to say you know this animal ran this way when you're not utilizing a dog and so you don't find any blood you can't find the arrow and you just you just say hey i must have missed when actually if you'd been off or over 30 to 50 yards, you, you would have found that blood trail and got started on it. So several things several things you said there, and I'm going to try to remember. I had several thoughts as I was listening to this. So the compass, uh, I would definitely agree with. One thing that I will add um, to, the, to the landmark thing that I've done in the past is when I lose sight of the animal, if I can, if I can keep my composure enough, one of the first things that I do is try to pick out the nearest big tree. And when I say a big tree, I'm talking about a tree that I can actually identify or, or see the canopy uh, silhouetted. And and that helps, especially once I get down on the ground, if I can then locate that tree and I know it's to the left of that or to the right of that, that's something I can still see um, as a reference point once I'm on the ground. That combined with the, um, the compass bearing is something... Uh, it's been a couple of years ago. I had a, a doe, and we were talking about this before we started, and, and we'll get into this a little bit more. That you know, I knew on the shot that it was a it was a good shot. I knew the the arrow went right where I wanted, but there was no blood, and it was getting close to dark. Um, and I actually took my compass bearing and identified this this tree that I'd picked out silhouetted against the sky, and so I didn't mess up my the track the deer had went on. I made a, a like a huge three hundred sixty degree circle. Uh, got above and and came back over to that that spot where I had last uh, saw her, uh, and within five minutes, just flashlight hit the hit the doe. She went exactly that in that case went exactly where I thought she had, and and managed to find that deer with with no blood whatsoever. She didn't bleed until you know right before she went down, uh, and I think you had a similar situation with a hog recently that just didn't bleed a drop. But we'll we'll get into that. So. Um, so that's the things that that I would that I would add to that, um, just again from from my experience. And when you're talking about the the dog, uh, I've been I've been lucky enough to to have you 
track a couple of deer for me with with bear dog and on i think on both situations we at some point said well something just doesn't seem right and i know the one that we were doing that late one night on i mean just way back in the mountains and uh you kept saying uh well i I don't know if he's on the trail or not and every time you would say it within a minute you'd spot a speck of blood um and then more recently that one that one doe that had the the liver lung hit and bear dog found the deer and we didn't see it and we kept looking and (laughs) he started looking for other deer because he said you know he was like well i've already showed you where it was at once yeah he doesn't show a lot of emotion um people say well why doesn't he get excited it's because he's he tracks multiple animals a day in some cases so the moment he finds a deer he's he'll often just step over that deer and continue to search because uh you know oftentimes when we shoot pigs we'll shoot two or three um or we'll shoot two or three bears in our bear camp uh, you know in a two or three day span he's just going to the next animal he's very matter of fact about what he does well i've learned to uh I've learned to trust him. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. I have too. <laughs> he, he, he's an amazing animal. Okay, so you've made the shot. You've picked your landmarks. Um, you you have a good idea where you think the deer ran. Um, you're all kinds of uh, how long to wait, those kind of things. Um, so, you know, in in your opinion, what's the – What's the typical magic number as far as getting out and then going and looking to see what kind of what kind of hit or what kind of sign you find after the shot? All right, I'll I'll back up just a touch and go even beyond that. And I've threatened for a couple of years to write an article on how to lose a deer or how to lose a big game animal. And uh, let's let's go back before the shot just a little bit. I think the first the first and most important reason people lose animals is shot angle choice shot placement choice um, whether it be deer hogs bear elk it doesn't matter Um, i'm not a proponent of of steeply quartering animals not in at any time we track a tremendous amount of those um, with dogs and often find them but they'll go a long ways with very very little blood Um, and you could do a a whole podcast on shot placement so i won't get too deep into that but you you literally could do uh, just with shot placement and the, the effects of it. Um, a steeply quartering animal, um, it's very difficult to cause bilateral uh, damage to internal organs. By, and by bilateral, I mean a double lung. Also, the arrow, let's say it's quartering away, the arrow is going to go in through the guts if he's steeply quartering. He's going to probably not exit. Um, so you'll have one exit hole, and it's in the gut area, uh, whether it be uh, the stomach contents, uh, the liver can shift over and block your exit hole. Um, you're going to get one lung, you pierce the diaphragm, and and then and hopefully um, something else along the way from a tree stand, possibly the heart. But even with a heart shot on this type of animal, we we don't we don't find any blood when we're tracking with a dog. And these animals, because of it's a single lung, and even with a liver, a liver and a single lung, a deer will often go. Um, and bears especially will go a quarter mile, half mile, um, because it is a single lung. They generally do that because of uh, the, the second thing that people do to lose an animal is they get down too soon out of the stand. Um, when you when you shoot an animal, it doesn't matter where you hit it. I don't care if it's the most beautiful double lung shot you've ever had in your life. Often your eyes can play tricks on you. 
Um, so I would say sit extremely quietly for 45 minutes to an hour, even on the perfect shot before getting down to take a peek and then stalk the bloodline, stalk it as quietly as possible. And if you hear, see, or anything ahead of you moving, just back out. Um, it's that taking a peek after a shot that causes the problems for, for us, uh, as a tracker and certainly for the hunter. Um, double lung perfect shot i would say a minimum of an hour the liver shot this is a hugely misunderstood shot they people think it's it's just so lethal and 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 quickly fatal and that's just not the case um i would say four hours minimum on a liver hit and if you hit anywhere that it, if you hit back liver or you think it's guts just wait eight hours eight hours would be the absolute minimum on a, a gut a gut shot animal of any kind um, here's a, another misconception about tracking, um, people lose a lot of gut shot animals. And here's the reason you go after it, you wait two, three, four hours, and you don't even know you're bumping the deer along or the bear. They get up quietly and they just ease out ahead of you. You bump them once, they'll generally go one to 200 yards and lay back down. You bump them twice and they will run to the next County, but you don't even know you're doing the bumping with a dog. Um, let's just say the hunter says, Hey, I think it was liver. And we bump that deer. The dog will tell me that we've moved the deer ahead of us. I'll tell the hunter, here's your options. We can push on, but we're probably going to bump it and it's going to run a long ways. Or we can back out, wait four to six hours and then, and start back over. That's the beauty of having a dog on that. Now the, the beauty of a dog on a gut shot animals, I've been doing this 35 years. I have lost one gut shot animal in 35 years using a dog for recovery and that was a bear last year <clears throat> that the hunter simply we we tracked the bear we ran it up the mountain we determined that it was gut shot got within just a few feet of it when it moved out ahead of me and so i said we're going to come back and the hunter absolutely refused to go back the next day extremely disappointing for us but that is our only gut shot animal that i can recall in 35 years that we did not recover and why is that because we don't push them um, just taking that peak will make the biggest difference in the world. You, you know, you've hit it in the guts, wait an hour, quietly exit your stand and go the exact opposite direction that that animal ran and try to get out of there without making any sound. Wait that eight hours. And generally after eight hours, the animal will be weak enough that to recover. Um, but not necessarily dead. 12 hours is what I would do on my own animal. If I didn't have a tracking dog and we, um, quite often we'll find them at 24 hours still alive. Of course, they're just too weak and the, the dog can, um, get us in, uh, let us know that the animal's still alive. And we can generally ease in and make a second shot on the animal. Um, the grid searching, everybody knows what I'm talking about there. And if you, if you want to do something to really complicate your chances of recovering on an animal, and that's to call nine of your buddies and start a grid search. Um, it doesn't matter how careful you are about staying out of the blood, even a micro drop on one person's foot and then a grid search will result in just a zigzag crazy trail that the dog has no idea how to differentiate between the actual animal and the five guys with blood all over their feet. So, you know, whatever you do, if you really want to find that animal, um, once you've determined that you cannot find it, if you'll back out and call in that dog, and then not grid search, you're going to have a, an excellent chance of recovery or an excellent chance of understanding uh, and being sure that you did not 
fatally wound that animal, which to me is just as important sometimes as finding the animal. Just knowing that you gave it your all, you went a half mile to a mile on that track and the deer was just fine. Okay. Uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff there too, Jerry, and a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Um, one thing that I want to point out, um, just for everyone listening is the things that I've noticed hunting around you, um, hunting with you over the last few years. Um, you're in, the, you're in a situation at times where you don't have your own tracking dog with you. Um, and this is just something that that struck me. I don't remember the situation. It's been a couple of years ago, but um, a lot of times when you go down to the property that we that we both hunt uh, down in uh, Middle Georgia, um, you don't bring Bear Dog with you just because he wants to go out and track all the time, and you're wanting to hunt. Um, and if you don't have Bear Dog and feel like you need a dog, you'll call somebody else and get a get a dog out there. I mean, I've I've, I've seen you do it. So this isn't just a uh, call Jerry if you if you shoot an animal. Uh, Jerry Jerry really likes to to help people out, and I've I've seen you do this this same thing firsthand. Um, you were talking about the uh, perfect hit and no blood. You know the some of the two of the deer that I shot last year um, went against the first thing that you started talking about, which was shot angle. Um, um, I I I will take some shots on angles that that you don't like and don't recommend and you know i i will say i've had good results um that could always go south this this fall but i will say this the one animal that i shot last year that was the textbook broadside arrow right where i wanted it perfect shot was the longest recovery i had so and the only point i'm trying to make there is every animal's different and you can't you can't be a hundred percent sure just because of the arrow impact. This doe went by GPS track. She went 300 yards. She should not have been able to go 40. I don't know what kept her up, um, but it was a perfect double lung, super sharp broadhead, And it took hours to follow that track. I had blood. I knew I had lung blood, but it just wasn't what I expected to find. Um, and probably should have called you that day, but, you know, you, you start on a trail and, and I wasn't having to roam. So I was literally just following the trail from spec to spec. And I finally found her. Um, so it can, it can happen to, it can happen to everybody. Like I said, I think I've called you out on two tracks over the past three or four years and probably should have on my, on my, my bear last year that decided to go for a swim. But that's, that's another, that's another story. Um, so let me cover one thing real quick yeah yeah i'd love for you to in regards to the the angled shots um quartering two is a is a never to me quartering away i'm not i'm while i'm not an advocate of taking it on some animals i do realize it's the only shot you have a rutting whitetail that's walking by you is not you know may possibly not give you it's not a bad shot it's just going to generally cause more difficulties in recovery or it can the margin for error is much less now, um, a rutting whitetail, you know, is one thing, but a bear uh, overbait, a hog overbait, um, you're going to have a better opportunity than a quartering away shot. That's that's where I'm saying I, I will not allow my bear hunters to take a quartering away shot. There's just no need for it. Um, the bears, if the bear is at the bait, generally he's going to give you 
the shot that is perfect to me that's a broadside shot um, the biggest margin for error um, the profile on the lung uh, lung cavity is just so much bigger you can go a little left a little right a little high and a little low and still take the animal same way with hogs um, i just want when when you have the opportunity to wait uh, wait out that uh, steeply quartering not slightly quartering that's a great shot but that steeply quartering shot on a bear or a hog is certainly something that you uh, oftentimes you can you can just pass up. So, just wanted to clarify that. And I think that's that's a good point, Jerry. I mean, it, you know, especially um, the it, the areas that we hunt more so in the in the early season than than later in the season. But you take you know here in Georgia from from opening day to you know end of October. It, it, I want to make sure. I, I want to make sure it comes off as we're not we're not judging uh, the shots that people take because I've been in those situations. You know, I would say if an animal comes in, don't be in such a hurry to get the shot off. You know, watch the animal. Um, hopefully, it'll give you the ultimate shot opportunity. But there comes a time when, uh, in a lot of cases. You have to make a, a split-second decision before the opportunity is completely lost. Is is this a shot that that I can make and, and be effective on it? Um, and you know as well as I do in some of the areas we hunt, you may only have a shot opportunity. that He may be within shot range for four, five, six minutes, but you may have a shot opportunity that lasts two seconds. Um, and it's, you know, that's – I think that's where – there's so many things going on in a hunter's mind from the time that they first spot that animal till they've, they, they no longer have an opportunity. Uh, it's just a whirlwind of things going on. When people, you, you often hear people, I don't understand how you didn't see where you hit the animal, or I don't understand how you don't know where the animal went. There is a lot of things that go on really quickly. And now you've got, I know you do some of this. I've, I'm trying it. I've carried a camera for into the woods for two years now. I very rarely get the camera turned on because as soon as the deer shows up, I go into hunting mode. I forget everything else. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and then after, after everything's transpired, I'll go either. I didn't even turn the camera on or I turned it on and never press record because I get so worked up. So, you know, these kind of things can happen to everybody. It's the only thing I'm, I'm trying to get out here. This isn't a, for sure. Um, there's a experience will carry you so far but adrenaline and nerves man i think if i ever stop having that that feeling i probably will stop hunting (laughs) yeah i found in my experiences with guiding is that certain animals um make a hunter have a response that they're there that even an experienced hunter is not used to bears are first and foremost um when i approach a stand and the hunter says this is this is what happened this is where i shot the bear with all due respect, I, I don't listen to a word of it. I let the sign tell me what I need to do, whether I need to bring the dog in at that moment or wait. Um, I've had bizarre, um, bizarre differences between what the hunter says and what, what actually happened. And I'm talking about the double lung shot hitting the foot, um, a double lung shot hitting the bear just in front of his tail. Um, you name it, some crazy, crazy things. The way the animal ran. Um, I've had them argue with the string tracker on their bows that, you know, he didn't run that way. I'm so, I said, well, the blood trail and the strings going that way. So, um, the, 
the, the excitement of the moment can certainly can certainly make you, your brain do some crazy things. It can make your mind you just the desire of to have that animal make your mind see something or your eyes see something they really didn't see, and that happens all the time to me as a tracker. We probably track, you know, I don't know, sixty to eighty animals on an average year, um, and probably ten of those the animal did exactly what the hunter said it did not do. That's how common that is. Um, and it doesn't have to be a necessarily inexperienced hunter for that, for that craziness to happen. So let's talk about, let's talk about the the differences in the animals just a little bit, Jerry. So, um, bears and, and some hogs, and I think you'll understand where I'm going here when I say some hogs in a minute, but you take a, you take a black bear and you take a black, a solid black, um, wild hog picking a spot for anybody is challenging um is there anything you would you would from from personal experience or or your dealings with these animals how how can you make a recommendation on how hunters can better prepare themselves to pick a spot in the right spot on a, an animal that just is one big black mass it is difficult, uh, particularly on really big hogs when you're pushing over 300 pounds and really big bears. Um, and it's also difficult. The bears add an, a, a, a separate element that makes it greatly difficult is because of the hair length on a bear. Um, so it, 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 the problem is compounded with the bears. Um, I, you know, regardless of the animal, I, the, the number one thing I tell a young hunter or even experienced hunter is, I don't ever look at where I want the arrow to hit. I look where I want the arrow to come out. Um, that's the biggest mistake I think that people make. Um, let's say it's slightly quartering away and you look where you want that arrow to hit. It's oftentimes, say the animal's facing to the right, you're going to shoot a little too far to the right and you're going to end up with a, a shot up near the chest and shoulder on a deer. Um, if you look at that off leg, I shot a hog just a couple of days ago. Um, and I took all the time in the world to let that hog, and that was a quartering shot. Um, but I, I really, really, really drilled through that offside leg. And at the shot, you could actually hear the arrow go through and crack and break his front shoulder on the opposite side. And that's how I do it. And I think that's the, you know, the, the sh- shortest answer I can give on how to, how to make your arrow go where you want it to go to get through the goodies and not just hit the goodies. Um, you know, it's really difficult though on big bears. Uh, it happens a lot. Um, the arrows tend to drift to the midsection on the bear. And y'all have heard me say it before. The middle of the middle is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I know there's controversy when I say that, but to shoot a bear in the middle of the middle of the bear is just a terrible, terrible thing to do. Um, and hopefully it will be close by if you do that, because you're going to have a gut shot. Um, hogs, um, if you want to move into shot placement on those animals, a hog is so anatomically different than a whitetail and even a bear to some degree. Um, if you want to study the anatomy on a hog, look at African game because it's very, very similar. Um, I tell uh, friends of mine that shoot pigs, invariably they're going to shoot a liver shot. They're going to shoot just behind the shoulder, which is a liver shot every time. And where we hunt, you liver shoot a hog and you're, you're in for a nightmare because they go into briar thickets that are so thick that – uh, you know, maybe a 10 inch hole that they burrow through and then the, the, the briars and all will collapse in and around them. You can look at showing Steve my arms right now. <laughs> I've tracked seven hogs in the last couple of weeks 
and I'm just tore to shreds by, by tracking hogs through these tunnels. Um, you know, I tell people when you're trying to shoot a hog, try to hit the shoulder. Basically, shoot right straight up, up the leg, front leg, yep. right up the leg. Don't go back three inches. Don't go back five inches. Try to break that leg because it's almost impossible to hit the shoulder bone on a pig. Um, a, a hog or a, a bear and a deer is different. Obviously, you want to shoot just a little back, um, especially on a bear. Don't hit that big shoulder blade. Um, but you know, turkey's a whole a whole another beast. A lot of people shoot turkeys high. Um, as I'm watching the turkey video, is the reason I'm, I just that just popped into my brain. But um, it, you know, hitting them in the wrong spot is number one, um, and then chasing them when you hit them in the wrong spot without the weight is number two as far as how to lose that animal. So, a couple things there, Jerry. I grew up, the hogs was just going to say that's just, that's what I've always done. You know, ever since I started hunting hogs. I, advice of others then started looking at the anatomy if you go straight up that front leg you would think you're going to hit bone but because of the the skeletal structure on that hog that bone goes sharply forward right where it meets yeah. the body and almost a, under the skin right in front of the chest uh, there's a there's a pretty good sized pocket there that you're not going to touch bone um bears while i'm still looking for my first uh, black bear um just studying the anatomy the the you can get away with a shot a little bit further back than you would on a whitetail because the lungs are just they're the way they're shaped. They're they're further back on the animal, and you definitely want to stay away from that that leg bone. On a whitetail, and I'm gonna throw a I'm gonna throw my my perception on whitetail out here, and I won't I really want your your feedback on this because as we've talked about, I shoot different equipment than most people, um, but. My opinion on shot placement on a whitetail over the last five or more years has gotten really skewed because of some of the mechanical broadheads and things like that that people are shooting. They're really light arrows. They're trying to get to speed. They want nothing to do with any bone whatsoever, and they're pushing their shot back. I've even seen people say things uh, on social media that they would rather shoot further back and shoot the guts and get part of the lung than to mess with that shoulder because if they hit even the the scalpel on a whitetail, which is not much bone mass, I mean, it's nothing, they know they're not going to get any penetration because of that, that the type of broadhead they're shooting. Um, with traditional guys, most of us shooting the cut-on-contact, con, cut uh, good steel-quality heads, that scalpel is not going to stop, in my opinion. I think you're okay with making that shot as long as you don't go too far forward and get into the hard part of that bone. Now, I'll hush on that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what I just said. Even if it contradicts what I said, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, we'll, we'll cover the two, the two main animals that people hunt, and that's uh, deer and bear, hogs we've discussed. Um, the, the two species, deer and bear, are wired different, and that's why I'd – and and the, the the anatomy is somewhat similar, but the hair length is different. So and I'll cover why that makes a difference. On a deer, a deer's wired is you know he's he's hardwired to to explode on the shot. Um, I, I still hear people say they shoot under a deer because they're gonna, you know, with anticipation of it dropping. That's just craziness to me to shoot where the animal's not. Um, here's my philosophy on deer, and it's worked for me on a couple hundred whitetails with a bow. I would say 40% up the body from the bottom line of the animal and five, four to five inches 
back behind the shoulder. That gives you dead center of the lungs and the greatest opportunity to miss just a little bit and still make a lethal kill. 40% of the way up the body, because the deer is more prone, certainly because of the wiring of the animal to explode at the shot, to drop down or jump the string. So not not right at the bottom of the deer, just 40% of the way up. Um, if the deer is really wired, um, you should consider either not shooting or shooting maybe 35% of the way up the body to to allow for a little bit of drop. Black bears are, are, are a little different um, for a couple of reasons. They're wired as apex predators, so they're not going to jump the string at all. They're not going to react to the shot at, at all. So you don't have to worry about movement with the bear. What you have to worry about with a black bear, though, is the hair length. This is particularly important in the spring when they have five to six inches of hair hanging off the uh, bottom of their body. If you go up 40 or 50% of the way up on a bear um, and you hit just a little low with that five inches of hair, you're likely to shoot under that bear or hit him in a non-lethal area in the bottom of his chest. So I say go up 50% of the way or even 55% of the way. And that's just a mental thing right there when I say 55 but go up about halfway and shoot again about four or five inches behind the shoulder on a broadside bear. Uh, you're going to have the greatest uh, opportunity to hit, uh, you know, as much lung tissue as possible and do bilateral damage to two lungs. A bear, in my opinion, uh, second only to the caribou, is the easiest, one of the easiest animals to kill with, an, with archery gear for a couple of reasons. First of all, and foremost is they don't run. They run a short distance and they'll stop and just stare back. And if they stand there five, six, seven seconds, oftentimes the lights go out. I've shot many bears that went five yards. And, and if I had made a sound, they would have bolted. But because I sat quietly in that tree, they fell over at five, six, seven yards. It's very common. But again, you have to take into account the hair on a bear. So go up at least 50% and maybe a touch more um, to account for that five inches. So in other words, the bottom of the bear is five inches higher than you think it is. I've got a, a really cool video of a bear I shot in Alberta that I thought I made an absolute perfect double lung hit on and the bear just stared at me and went back to doing what bears do. I was just, I said, well, he doesn't even know he's hit. So I just sat quietly in the stand and waited on him to fall over. Well, a minute or two later, he was still doing bear things. So I had to pull out another arrow, and I realized at that point what had happened. Um, but even with the bear lying there broadside, um, it looked like the arrow was right through the double lungs, and I had shot under that bear somehow. It was a, Even though it was a male, it had long hair. So you have to co uh, compensate for that hair on a bear. It's easy to do to, to just shoot way too low on a black bear. And, and Jerry... Uh I guess you've experienced bear hunting in both um, of the uh, typical forms, meaning you've hunted bear here in Georgia where it's it's strictly hunting uh, food sources, uh, trails, those kind of things, and you've hunted bears over bait. I have yet to hunt them over bait. You know, I think that's something, you know, you and I are still going to try to get hooked up on here in the next year or so, maybe next year now that... Yeah, uh, we've got Bella settled into college, but um, the bear that I shot at last year, and a lot of people have seen this video, the first one I shot at last year when I was hunting with Crispin uh, up in North Georgia and center punched that little two-inch maple tree four feet from the bear, 
you know, even with that loud crack, that bear did just what you were talking about. He did like two bounds. He didn't go, he didn't go 10 yards and stopped. And I actually sat there and watched that bear sit down and look around. And at the time I thought what I'd hit was his, was the shoulder. Uh, I thought it was bone that I'd hit instead of that tree. Um, and I was waiting to see, you know, what he was going to do. And then he finally, he bolted, but he sat there just looking around, trying to assess what had startled him for the longest time. I mean, it was probably 10 or 15 seconds, but it seemed like forever. Um, so yeah, they, even with that loud crack, he didn't, he didn't tear out of there for another 15, 20 seconds. If, if I'd had a, a window, I could have definitely taken another shot with no problem, but I, I didn't have a shot window. Um, well, Georgia bears too, just a real quick point on to Georgia or Southern bears, um, you know, and the bears that I've had experience with in Alaska and all across Canada, they're wired different. I mean, way different. Um, we hunt in the, in a wilderness area in Canada, a 1 million acre wilderness area. And the bears have no predators, not even humans, um, other than just a few that we take from there. So they're wired completely different than a Southern uh, bear or bear hunted really probably anywhere in the United States where they're hunted so hard. Um, those bears up there, I quite often can get five to 15 yards from these bears and they just, they just stare at me. Um, they'll move off the trail as I pass by tracking another bear. They have no fear of you or very, very little fear. Uh, the bears in Georgia, <laughs> let them see you, um, or smell you and they're like a rocket ship, much more, much more like a whitetail. You get away with a, the, the noise, probably what you did. If you're hunting over acorns, you get away with a lot of, they'll tolerate a lot more because there's so many acorns rain, raining down the big chestnut acorns and white oaks that, if they ran every time something cracked, um, they'd be running constantly. So possibly when you took that shot at that bear, that's what occurred. He just thought something fell out of the tree. You know, it's funny. You just brought it up and I was actually going to ask you that question and it kind of slipped my mind. So I heard, and I think it was a friend of mine, Jason Samkoviak that I heard say this. I think it was him. Uh, so Jason, if you're listening to this and I'm, I'm wrong, uh, don't hold it against me. And, and for what I'm about to bring up, don't hold it against me either. But, uh, anyway, the, the statement was, if you're hunting bears, the bear knows you're there. You're not going to get away with it. Um, and that is not the case here in, in, in Georgia. No, now, not at all. Where you're hunting over bait. Yeah. I think most cases, those bears circle the bait. They know, they smell you, they know you're there, but, but here you, you have got to defeat that bear sensitive or you'll never see them. I mean, I've, I've had them win me, um, and they don't. And you think a you think a deer can move a a black bear can scat man they can cover some ground sure quick. Um, I don't think they tend to run as far, but they will get they will get to a safe place very rapidly, very rapidly. Um, so, anything else you as far as shot placement, Jerry? You think of before we move on? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Or obviously, you, you know, you could stay forever on that subject, but it'll get crazy on, in this topic. Well, and we talked about it. Maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a, a, a future episode where we just talk nothing about shot placement. And go through go through some scenarios. I know. I think it helps even seasoned hunters to hear it again and definitely for for new people and and maybe even for for new guys that are getting into traditional bow hunting um i think it would be a good topic to to spend some time on so um let's move forward i I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about um sign 
Uh, and then I then I do want to you know, wrap up with a little bit more about the the uh, trailing dogs and so forth because I know you had some key points that you wanted to cover there. But um, so you you've waited. You feel like you had a good shot. It's not a gut shot. So you're you you want to go and and check out the the arrow and the the point of impact and those things. Let's first talk about blood. And this is not an easy. Um, uh, audio <laughs> audible discussion to have. I mean, most of the time I think you're better off with pictures, but let's just talk about the blood a little bit. Um, explain it as best you feel like you can of what you're looking for when you, when you find blood, how you can di- potentially differentiate what kind of hit you've got from the sign on either the arrow or on the ground. And then we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Besides having the, um, the luxury of tracking a lot of animals in my life. I was also in another lifetime, a fireman and an EMT. So I had the, uh, I guess you can call that the luxury of having that great job. But I saw, um, I saw what wounds could do to, to, you know, human tissue. Um, so saw a lot of blood in that time and both tracking and in that job. So, um, it helps, uh, when you're, you know, looking at that arrow right after the shot or even a bullet wound, uh, it's helped me over the years to tell, you know, what, what am I seeing and what does it present as far as what do I need to do? Um, everybody understands that, you know, bright, bright blood is arterial in nature. Um, it's oxygenated. So it's, it, and it's obviously or oftentimes a lot of it. Um, so when you see that bright, bright blood, um, it, it's usually a good thing, not always, but often a, a very good thing. The darker the blood uh, the more venous it's going to be, and but it could be it could be venous on the on the the uh, good side of the diaphragm, or it could be on the bad side. Liver blood is usually dark, um, and anytime I see dark dark blood, I tend to think that the shot is is far back, and it's going to be. I, I usually arrow on the side of a gut shot when I see that, um, and then of course when you have gut material, that's it's it's quite easy to see on those steeply quartering shots i I treat i tend to teach them teach treat them at best as a liver shot so i'm going to wait a minimum of four hours on steeply quartering so if you come in through the guts you go out through one lung a one lung deer can live easily easily four to eight hours and will often survive but if you hit guts and one lung that deer will perish but you have to treat it as a gut shot if you come in on a steeply quartering two shot, the shot you shouldn't have taken in the first place, certainly treat that as a gut shot because that's what you've got. You've got at best uh, a single lung and some liver and guts. So a minimum of four to eight hours on that shot. Um, where can I go from there? <clears throat> so a couple things. Um, and I know we keep we keep saying we're not going to talk about shot placement, but I I, I can't help it. I got to talk about this in a little bit because there are, um, in my opinion, again, a lot of there's a lot of bad information that just gets spread on social media. Um, recently, I saw, uh, and again, it was another podcast. I'm not beating these guys up, but they were talking about frontal shots on elk. Um, I'm not a fan of frontal shots on any animal. Um, personally simply because i think it's not just an aspect of lethality but it's an aspect of recoverability in a lot of cases but when we talk about um first of all elk and whitetail completely different animals there's a a huge difference with regards to the size 
um, not only of the animal itself, but the size of the vital the vital zone. So let's separate those. But when we talk about a quartering towards shot, let's talk about some of those scenarios real quick, Jerry, and then we'll when we'll come back to the blood because I do. There's a couple things I want to throw in there. Um, you you seriously skinny up um, the kill zone on a on a steep quartering towards shot, more so than a quartering away because of the bone structure. All right. So when you hear people say, don't take a quartering away shot, it's not because it can't be lethal. It's because you have severely reduced um, the, the likelihood of a successful outcome because you're likely going to hit one lung if, if, if at all because of the steep angle. So that's one. And two, you're dealing with that bone structure, which, which could result in, a, in an arrow impacting and not getting any penetration at all, or in some cases, in my opinion, worse. It glances off that that bone. You get a, a ghastly wound with little to no chance of recovery because you're not going to get the vitals. Fair enough, or would you add to that? I, I, I can't conceive of any scenario <laughs> ever in my lifetime of, of 45 years or more, maybe near, I don't know, 45 plus years of hunting, have I ever in any way, shape, form, or fashion considered a frontal shot on any animal? Maybe a squirrel, but that's about <laughs> it. And I understand that I don't, I have to be a little, uh, or you have to be a little more careful in a podcast saying that, but I don't have any any reservations whatsoever. If you take a, a frontal shot on a an animal, it's just, I just, I see it as unethical. Um I, I don't understand why anybody would do it, so I'll leave it there. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's nothing against these guys. I know the guys. I'm not even going to mention the, the podcast. They, it was a, a post. I commented on it. I stated my opinion. Um, but because, you know, there have been some video shot of people taking that frontal shot on an elk. They're shooting a um, a, a expandable broadhead that, that leaves a big hole and you see a lot of blood and the animal dies. They think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great shot to take. And it's just, it's just not, but we'll stop there. I'm not going to beat that up. So let's go back to the blood. And again, we'll reserve this to come back and, and talk to about a little bit more. So one situation that I've run into a couple of times, um, once with positive end results, once with non-positive end results, when you talk about the bright blood, um, you and I both know that can either be a sign of a really good hit, or it could be a sign of a marginal, not so good hit. Is there any way for the hunter to differentiate other than volume of blood that instead of getting a, a, a an arterial or a, a vein shot near the heart, whether you don't have a lot of, of oxygen rich blood coming out versus clipping a leg yeah leg wound can bleed a, a tremendous amount it can also be lethal too um but uh, you know i would treat a leg wound as man that's that's a special case with a dog if i if i know without any shadow of a doubt um that i've got a leg wound on a deer um your best option with a with a dog is to continue to push it to keep it from uh to stopping to bleed you want it to bleed out um, we'll get into on lead versus off lead and recoverability of a deer from an ethics standpoint in just a second. But a leg wound is, it's a tricky, tricky situation. 
um, you can often find um, with a dog, you'll find very quickly if the deer is going to is going to perish with that leg wound or not. You know, a leg wound deer will often lay down really quickly, especially if you've broken a bone, because I think of the pain factor in there. They'll lay down very, very quickly, um, and and stop bleeding quickly if they're not if they're not pushed a little bit. Um, but that that's a man. That's a difficult situation. I don't think there's enough time to even cover the intricacies of that. But generally speaking, a, a deer shot shot in the leg when it's you're sure it's just a leg wound. Um, I would I would I would be an advocate of pushing that deer. In other words, don't let it lay down um, because it'll stop bleeding. Eventually, will probably die, but you're probably not going to find it. But if you keep it bleeding, you oftentimes can get close enough to get a second shot into it. Fair enough. Um, the only other thing that I would say about anything, I just want to make sure that that we we emphasize this that regardless of if you see lung blood or not if you see any gut material whatsoever back out so just because you've got some lung blood mixed in with with gut material there's no reason to there's no reason to think that deer is going to go down anytime soon would you agree uh, yeah absolutely here's the deal if you if you have lung blood and i don't mean a little some bubbles in the in the blood i mean lung blood where it looks like cotton candy laying on the ground and gut material that means you it's impossible to get a double lung and a gut shot. So when you have both, you must treat it as a gut shot and give it eight hours. And the reason being a single lung animal will often live for many, many hours and will and will oftentimes survive. We track bears and deer every single year that are recovered. And the hunter says, I shot this deer last year. Um, and, and the autopsy will, will provide evidence that the deer's living on one lung. So you must treat it as a gut shot. Um, so, um, and just thinking of a single lung animal, one thing we didn't cover were straight down shots. Be super, super careful of those. Um, that's another opportunity to have a, a single damage to a single lung, a single lobe of the liver, something like that. So, you know, take the time to position your stands when possible, um, as far as from the trail as you can make a really good shot. In other words, if your perfect effective range is, is 16 yards, don't get three yards from the trail where you're almost guaranteed to have a shot that's at too steep of an angle, which will prevent, um, you know, a double long shot. Um, and also when you're going from the top of an animal to the bottom, that's a whole lot further to get through that animal. And then you're putting your arrow above the curve of the body. So that deer is going to have basically have to fill up with blood before it starts to spill out. Makes it very difficult to to find the start of that blood trail for a hundred or even for a hundred yards or even further. So try to avoid that steep, steep down, uh, downward angled shot. Jerry, it's hard to sit here and concentrate on what we're doing. I'm watching the, the, <laughs> the videos you've got running here in the background. I wish people could see this. But at the same time, I keep noticing areas that I recognize. <laughs> I, know, I know where some of these we're are. Watching, uh, Steve's talking about we're watching on my big screen TV. It's YouTube uh, YouTube on my TV, and and we just run a loop of all the, the tracking that we do. Right now we're watching Bear Dog track something somewhere. I don't know what it is. Um, and I will plug this a little bit. If you want to see this dog work, He's a five and a half year old, very, very highly trained animal. I've had a lot of great dogs in my life, and I mean some phenomenal dogs. But Bear Dog is hands down um, the the smartest dog I've ever had. 
along with determination and most importantly the coldest nose dog i've ever had um he's a bavarian mountain hound um and uh while he can be a jerk at times <laughs> what he does for a living he's really really good at and i don't know if you can hear him barking i think he heard me say that in the background outside in his kennel but um he he can recover animals at tremendous distances uh he's he's gone 3.6 miles on bears a mile and a half on a ton of deer a ton of deer that far um and then last year was his longest recovery of an animal he's tracked them colder than this but he recovered a deer last year in in hall county georgia that went i'm sorry habersham county georgia that was 30 38 hours i think after the shot and we found that deer alive after 38 hours alive wow um it was just a tr- crazy crazy track um but he, he's super capable over 20 hours a 20 hour track to him is is a piece of cake and but it's funny you, we're inside your house and i'm i'm sure he heard his name yeah, uh, yeah. he speaks uh more english than i wished <laughs> i could get away with if you go to our youtube channel which is russell outdoor guides if you'll watch me talk when he's waiting to track before i ever tell him to go to work he knows it's time to go to work just watch the videos and you can see him on there doing a ton of training work and they're just following a million bear deer hog things like that turkeys so he's a fun dog to watch so jerry i got one thing i want to i want to touch on real briefly and i'm just going to let you run with the stuff that you wanted to talk about you know with regards to the tr- the tracking dogs but the the one thing is um other than uh, well, no i'm not even gonna say other than can you elaborate on just a little bit are there any scenarios where you can think of off the top of your mind you would break that four eight hour rule? I think the eight hour rule is safer if if um, if you've got the weather to do so, meaning temperature wise. Um, if you you know if it comes down to you're going to you know maybe lose the animal to spoilage because of the warm temperatures we have here, that might be a scenario where I would break that rule. But I want to ask you, you know, uh, weather conditions, those kind of things, when when, and if you would ever break that, that eight-hour rule on a gut shot? Um, I would never break the eight-hour rule, and here's the reason. And, and this is a great point that you brought up. There could be confusion by people. In Georgia, again, we have 90-degree temperatures all the time in, in our bow season. It's quite common. Um, if you hunt this coming weekend, you're probably closer to 100 degrees. Why is the eight-hour rule still steadfast, in my opinion? If you know you've got shot a deer, the deer is not going to die for at least six to eight hours, so you'll have no spoilage to, to contend with. Now, if you push that deer early, you're going to lose him, and then guess what? He's going to spoil. If it's a liver shot and you know it is, he's going to live. He may die within 30 minutes to an hour, but most likely he's going to live two to four hours. So the clock doesn't start ticking till that deer passes away. Um, an hour on, on the double lung, so you've got no problem there. We're, um, a lot of the country's plagued with coyotes, and I understand that a lot of people will use the coyote call to say, okay, I've got to go or I'm going to lose it to, to coyotes anyway. Well, that's a valid factor. But if you know you've got shot an animal, if you're positive of it, um, coyotes might possibly find that animal but they might possibly not if it's gut shot 100 percent, you go in one hour later you're going to probably lose that deer so you have to take that into account oftentimes the guys that i track for will use the coyote excuse 
because I just simply can't wait. And that, that's just not something you should do. But again, if an animal is going to live six to eight hours, the clock doesn't start ticking on the animal spoilage until six to eight hours. Um, so my advice is to wait, that's wait, a good, that's wait a good as long point. as you can. I'll be honest. I've never thought about it from that perspective myself. So I'll say very... this, here's a little trick that I've done before. I've tracked a deer, um, say 50 to 60 yards. I've determined, okay, this is a hundred percent or a hundred yards or 200 yards. This is a hundred percent of gut shot or I've bumped the deer after six hours is take your jacket, take anything with a lot of human scent and leave it right in the middle of the trail. Um, I can't say for sure that this will work, but I, I, I do believe that if you've got 200 yards behind you, the chances of a coyote coming along are positive. But if they'll come along and run into a human scent, there's a possibility that that coyote will break off that line. Um, we've used it in the past, and I, I would say it certainly can't hurt, and it also helps you, obviously, marking your last blood spot. What about precipitation? Um, with or without a dog? With a dog. With a dog, don't even take it into a factor. It's, it's a, even snow. Absolutely no consequence whatsoever, um, the amount of rain that comes down. I've tracked, tracked a huge Cherokee County, Georgia buck about three years ago. It, we, it rained three and a half inches between the shot and one time I got there. We literally, it, we had creeks flowing when we were tracking this deer. It does not impact a a solidly trained dog in any way, shape, form, or fashion. As a matter of fact, if I'm going to wait 20 hours on a trail, I'll go in. I love a light rain. Love it. It reactivates the blood to some degree. Um, and then also, oftentimes your hunters or your trackers too, when you call them, will say, I want to wait till the morning. And they'll go, well, why? It's going to be eight, 10 more hours. Well, they're, they're looking for that high moisture content in, in the and the leaves, uh, you know, for the tracking dog, it helps the dog from a molecular standpoint. Don't want to get too complicated, but, um, moisture enhances the dog's ability to track. Even if more time is taken as, has passed by, particularly with a trained animal. Again, 20 hours is nothing to a good dog, nothing whatsoever. I'm not advocating you waiting a long time like that. Let the tracker know that you need him we can let him make the decision, but 20 hours is nothing to my dog. It actually settles my dog down. I'd rather track it 20 hours than I would at two. Um, the scent is too hot at that point. Um, and obviously, if we think the deer's dead, we'll go as soon as possible. But I don't even blink at a 20-hour track. 24, 26 hours and nothing to us. Okay. And I think that is a good segue. I know you've got some some topics that you are, some material that you wanted to, to cover kind of around the around the tracking dog so i'm just going to let you uh kind of wrap this thing up here and then we'll do a once you're done we'll do a quick closure and we'll let you get back to your day jerry all right just real quick on the legalities of tracking um it can get confusing from state to state but right now there's a lot of new states that have just legalized tracking with a blood dog for recovery of a wounded animal but um in the south it's pretty much legal everywhere and you can do it any way shape form or fashion for the most part um, in the northeastern and the uh, western states, there's uh, a lot of different rules. Um, so become familiar with those. A good source of information on, on the rules of engagement as far as tracking dog, dogs is, I would say, visit unitedbloodtrackers.org. Um, they have a find a tracker page on there if you need a tracker. Um, they also have the rules. Uh, where is it legal? It's legal in over, I think, just over 40 states now. Most of the Eastern states, it's legal in now. There's just a handful that it's not in the in the Northeast, uh, smaller states. 
and then out west there's some craziness um, in the western states um, so go to unitedbloodtrackers.org and look up the legalities and uh, also uh, finding a tracker is um, is there's uh, several different ways you can do it but if you google it in your state there many states have organizations um, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, a lot, a lot of different states have great or statewide organizations will help you locate a tracker by county. This is important. Do this before you need them. Get to know them a little bit. Um, that's really, really important. Um, they want to know you and you want to keep that number in the phone and then get your second and third string tracker. In other words, the one that's second away from you and third away. Um, look by reputation too. There's some trackers that are phenomenal and there's some that are that are just getting started. So you obviously might, um, on a more difficult track, not want to run a young dog. You may want a dog. If you've got a, if you've used your own dog, you may want to get a dog that's been trained to follow a second in line. Um, uh, United Blood Trackers, again, .org has the uh, find a tracker page, but that's only about uh, a handful of the trackers across the country. The state organizations, Georgia, for, for instance, has over a hundred trackers listed just in the state of Georgia. Um, there's some counties that have five or six trackers listed. Um, some counties don't have any, so get to know them. Um, the legalities also will cover whether the dog can run on lead or off lead. And there's a big difference in the two. An off lead dog generally will have a higher recovery rate because he can often catch a, a leg wounded deer, um, and, and stop it for you or bay it. Um, there's some ethical questions as to whether you as a hunter would want that to occur. Uh, or if you, you know, a bay dog is one thing you can walk up and you can decide if you want to, did the dog do the recovery? Uh, did the dog catch the deer that wouldn't have died otherwise? Uh, the, that's up to the hunter to make that decision on lead means. And this is the way it is in many States is on lead only. Um, is that, that hunter, the tracker must be attached to that dog at all times. The recovery rate is going to be down a little bit, but certainly if the animal's mortally wounded, it doesn't make that big of a difference in recovery percentages. Um, a lot of hunters have a misconception that a blood dog, if he's running off lead, is just running helter skelter through the woods, and that's just simply not the case. These dogs are highly trained. Oftentimes, they run on GPS where the the handlers can um, you know see where they're at to keep them away from roads. And also to do callback on them. Um, I run on lead exclusively because I track a lot of bears and they're deadly on a dog. Um, some of the guys in Georgia and Florida and South Carolina, they'll track on lead only because of the danger from to the dog from alligators. Um, and, uh, and, of course, highways present a huge problem. I track a lot in suburban Atlanta. And um, that's a hazard, obviously. So my dogs are always on lead. Um misconceptions about dogs we covered uh as far as the rain that's a huge misconception that a, a rain impacts a dog not at all another thing is the time uh, you know i shot a deer but it's been a day and a half and it's just no way to find this this deer a dog can find a deer a dead deer for days and days and days after the shot um, just by running a, an air grid even if he can't track at that point he can find the the, the remains of the of the animal we do that all the time um, a good tracking dog can go up to 40 hours, maybe even longer, possibly, depending on the circumstances, moisture and things like that. Um, grid searches, we've covered that, but grid searches, if you want to lose your deer, run a grid search and then expect that dog to come in and work out that spaghetti of trails. About the only way we can get past that is to say, where did you track? 
where did you grid search to? And then we go beyond that. Hopefully the deer, you've pushed it out of the area and we can pick up a deer or bear track clear of that area. So don't just don't do it. When you have doubt, that's exactly the moment then you back out. If you're not sure and you take those extra few steps, 50 or 60 yards, that's, that's oftentimes the difference of, uh, of when you're going to lose that animal. Um, let's see what types of dogs are used in tracking there's a there's a bunch for those that might be listening to this and thinking man this sounds pretty cool i want to get a dog ask yourself what how do you want to use the animal if you're going to use that dog for recreational tracking for you and your buddies and generally your tracks are going to be you know under six hours just about any dog out there and i mean even house dogs I, i i kiddingly tell people that i can teach a cat or a squirrel to track a deer or a bear up to eight hours. And I believe I could. Um, when you pass 16 to 20 hours, you need a dog that's got a little bit different demeanor and a little bit colder nose. Um, so ask yourself what you're going to use the animal for. There's a ton of breeds out there that will do, um, that will do hot tracks and hot. I mean, less than eight to 12 hours. Um, if you want something colder, you just, you, you go to your, your, your hound breeds. Um, but, uh, and I would caution anybody that's thinking about doing this, about getting a big dog. If a dog's, and I know I might <laughs> offend some of the guys out there, but if a dog on lead is over 50 pounds, 60 pounds, you probably got too much dog. Um, if he's going to pull you, he'll, he'll just destroy you in the woods. But that's just me. I've had them all. I've had bloodhounds, beagles, Bavarians, uh, teckles. I've had it all. In my opinion, my dog is a 60-pound dog. He's long-legged. He's extremely agile. Um, and, uh, and to me, that's the perfect dog. But everybody's got a different um, breed in mind. In the southern U.S., the hounds prevail in Lacey's. And up in uh, the northern states, those are popular too. But the Teckles, Teckles reign a lot up there, especially in the northeast. And they're phenomenal dogs. That's a wire-haired Dotson. Um, they're great, great dogs. Um um, if you want to know more about that, again, visit unitedbloodtrackers.org. Consider joining that organization. If you do, you can get on their Facebook pages and you can ask a lot of questions and learn a lot about um, what it means to be a tracker. I'll tell you this. My experience is if, if you know me, you know how much I love to hunt. I try not to hunt more than seven days a week. I think it's excessive. But uh, <laughs> one thing that will get me out of a tree um, is – is a tracking call and i get a lot of them in the rut it's it's not uncommon for me to get six or eight calls in a day um and i just love to track when i show up on a track um regardless of the experience of the hunter but oftentimes it's it's a it's a lady hunter or a child that shot their first deer and we get there at the gloomiest of times just the most awful of times and sometimes four or five times a day we get to see that doom and gloom turn into absolute euphoria um, and, you know, or, or it's an experienced hunter, uh, hunting the Metro, the big Metro bucks in North Atlanta, that's hunted a deer for four years and he's, he's made a poor shot on it and he's really, really, really distraught. And we show up a day or two later and we turn that, you know, that distraught time into just absolute joy. And that, that that's a, it's almost an addictive thing about uh, tracking that we do. And I love it. It's a, it's a big deal to us. My dog loves it, and 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 uh, he he'll absolutely go crazy. I swear, I think that dog. I know he speaks English because when I take a call, <laughs> I do an interview, 
and he'll run to the closet that holds his tracking gear and and paw the door until he can get it open and grab his leash and then he's ready to go um i don't understand how he can understand that i'm on the phone if i'm talking to one of my children he doesn't react i can't get him off the sofa but let a hunter call him maybe it's me pacing back and forth getting all the vital information but he loses his mind um um, our website is russelloutdoorguides.com and that's got some, uh, it's got our tracking page information on that. And I only say that for the Georgia hunters. Um, if you go to that website and you look up our tracking page, it tells the counties that we cover, which is essentially north of Atlanta, the Atlanta city limits up into the mountains. We go cover about an eight county area. Um, but for the Georgia guys listening, I, I just don't look at my page, go to the Georgia tracking page on facebook or, or the dollar dog tracker for the georgia outdoor news network and find your local tracker um get to know them um there's some really really good dogs on there i use mike lopez out of central georgia when i don't have my dog which is generally about 100 miles away i don't take my dog down in the rut because i stay in the tree 15 hours i don't think it's fair to kennel him that long because when he's down there he's losing his mind the whole time so i call in mike mike brings in a a a lacy dog off lead phenomenal tracker phenomenal dog he puts over generally 100 to 150 deer a year on the tailgate that's wounded animals that he recovers that would not have been recovered that's a pretty cool thing if you think about it um these the you know the misconception on these dogs is is huge especially i think in the north and out west they just don't understand how capable they are at at uh at, at recovery on an animal and don't just think deer, bear, hogs. They're being used for elk um, out out west in Texas for all the exotics, um, for moose in the northeast in Canada. Uh, my dog tracks for me in my Canadian bear camp, and he is, uh, if you look at our uh, YouTube page, you'll see he's just a phenomenal asset to me. We hunt primarily with traditional archers, um, certainly not exclusive to that, but, um, and I don't know if it's, if, if it's a, it's because they're traditional archers. We have a lot of bears that are difficult to recover. I know the terrain has a lot to do with it. And the fact that we have new hunters or uh, new to bear hunting hunters. So the shots are sometimes not where they need to be, or sometimes they're perfect. And in those boreal forests, those bears are just so difficult to find when they cross the bogs. And this dog generally in a year, about 25 to 40% of the bears, we just simply wouldn't recover without him. Um, a great example is this, past spring where we had a bear that swam a river three times a gut shot bear um with no blood no blood whatsoever um and that dog recovered that bear um he um you know with bear with up there we don't worry about coyotes we're about wolves so when we're tracking we're encountering that we encounter moose a lot of deer uh, porcupines everything up there um but he works well and then of course in georgia's deer bear hogs and turkeys um just a quick note on hogs, a lot of deer hunter, deer tracking dogs, the hunters won't allow hogs. I do it under very selective um, situations, but oftentimes understand when a tracker won't track your hog, these deer are hog broke and they, they're, they're trained to not track it. So don't be upset when a deer tracking dog, a handler won't take a, a pig. Um, use those string trackers. If you know me, you know I'm an advocate of them. Uh, even though I have a dog in the kennel, a half mile away, I still use those string trackers. They, it happened to work for me just a couple of days ago. Um, that's all I got on the legalities of it. If you want to cover anything else, 
No, the the only thing, uh, and I can, uh, I guess I'll stick this in now. I mean, is there any is there any other topics you do want to cover, or you you think we're pretty good here? No, just uh, I just tell people don't wait to the last minute. Um, it's common for me to get a text um, at six in the morning or five in the morning. I lost a deer yesterday. That's that's the wrong way to handle it. Give the give the tracker a text that at least get on the radar. Um, because again, in the rut, in the rut, you, the difference in 12 hours of you waiting to call might mean that you're eight to 10 calls back. Um, and he's just not going to be able to get to you. Give him a heads up. And you know, even, even the experienced hunters, if you're just not sure what to do, these trackers, they, they don't track three or four deer or five, six, seven, eight animals a year. Like you do, they track 80 to a hundred and they've been doing it for 25 years. So they're, They've tracked hundreds, if not thousands of animals and can provide you some really, really good information. Another big thing is learn your landowners. In Georgia, as in most states, the, uh, a wounded animal tracking it does not give you the right to trespass. It is illegal in Georgia and in most states to cross property lines. And that's a big fallacy for a hunter say, no, the game warden said I can do it. Well, the game warden can't provide that legally, uh, that that permission. So learn your landowners before the season, have their phone numbers. When I get to a line and I know that through my tracking apps that I've hit a property line, I'll say, do you have permission on this property? And if I don't have a yes, an affirmative, I stop right there. Um, we're held to a higher standard as we should be. We should know the law and, and all trackers do. So learn those property uh, owners and call the tracker. Even when you're not sure you're going to use them, give them a heads up. So they can put you in the queue to, to get to you and try to help you out. So the, the only things that I will add to any of that in closing, Jerry, and I think you, you covered it very well. Thank you so much. Um, as a hunter, I think everybody needs to recognize that you have the responsibility that if you're going to take a, a shot at an animal where, you, where your intent is to kill that animal, you should do everything within your power to recover that animal. This isn't a pride thing. This isn't a thump your chest, talk about how great a tracker you are, how good a blood trail you can follow. And there are some good ones out there. Um, I've I've been around some, and and I've I've personally helped track deer without dogs in the past. But the bottom line is, if you're if you have that doubt reach out to reach out to somebody that can help you um, that's a phenomenal point let me add to it a little bit here i don't care how good you are at tracking i'm pretty good at it you're not gonna be as good as that dog are you you're not <laughs> even gonna be fractionally good as that dog and and i'm not i'm not saying don't track that's part of the hunt that's an essential part of the hunt but there comes a point to where you know that you're having great difficulty and you're spreading the scent um i've tracked with the greatest trackers on the planet and those are in uh, in Southern Africa, they can see things that my eyes can't even see. And even those guys now have taken to using dogs, um, just to speed up the process. Um, it is incredibly important that you understand that you got to take the ego out of it and ask yourself before you drop that string or pull that trigger on an animal, would you want one of your buddies to take that same shot? And then you be responsible for trying to recover that animal. Um, you know, before you do it, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to let down and maybe hunt that deer another day than it is to, to fret for two or three years. Like I do when I take a shot that I shouldn't have taken, that was marginal at best. And, uh, 
and I wished I hadn't done it. Um, you know, a live animal that just got away is a great memory. Uh, an animal that you shoot when at an angle that you shouldn't shoot or at a time you shouldn't shoot when you don't have time to make the recovery um, is, is one that will haunt you for a long time. And one thing I did not cover, and it is a, man, it's the biggest point of all, is the misconceptions about the, the term blood dog. A blood tracking dog does not need any blood whatsoever to recover the animal. So if you shoot one and you lose the track or you have no track whatsoever, do not hesitate to think that that dog is not going to be able to find it. That dog needs absolutely no blood whatsoever. And a good skilled tracking dog will be able to determine the animal that's wounded from ones that are not. My dog will absolutely absolutely ignore the track of another deer or a coyote or a hog or a bear when he's locked in on a, an animal that's wounded. It has no impact whatsoever. And I, and I have personally seen that, that firsthand. Um, and that, that, that was a very good point you made Jerry about, would you, would you advise a friend or another hunter to take a shot you're about to take. I, I think that's very good advice. Uh, the only thing I would add to it is we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to take shots at some point in time. As much as I'd love to tell you, none of us will. You just are. I mean, it, it's, I think that's what we're out there for is we're out there for the hunt. Um, and sometimes things just aren't going to go uh, the way you would prefer um, but own it. I mean, you know, it does no good to yourself, the animal, or if you're bringing in a tracker to just elaborate and, and say things that just aren't true on it, on it. I think the, the, the success you you'll have will be much better for it. Um, and with that, I, I think we've kind of, we kind of covered this pretty well, Jerry. I hope everybody in, enjoys and, and has gained something from this. I know, Honestly, every time Jerry and I sit down and talk, there's things that I take away from the conversation that I've learned. So um, uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you haven't already, uh, we do have a giveaway going on right now for a custom longbow or recurve. Uh, be sure to get entered in that. There's multiple ways to add uh, entries so you can be entered multiple times for the drawing. That's going to run through the end of this month of September 2019. Uh, so if you haven't heard about it, go check out the website, traditionaloutdoors.com, and you should see a fairly recent post there uh, about the giveaway. So be sure to get entered. We wish everyone the best of luck. And until next week, uh, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. Take care, all.